live. Uh, that's right. That's what it says on my screen. So, uh, yeah, thank you for, for joining us out there, all of you who are watching. Uh, and thank you for my uh, to my lovely and talented guests here tonight on uh, <laughs> the Earth's Mightiest Critics uh, superhero uh, edition of Spider-Man 3. We're going to be talking mm. about this movie, which turned 15 years old this summer. Uh, it's almost old enough to drive. Uh, it's almost old enough for James Franco to hang out with. Wow, oh. we're, we're launching <laughs> right into it. <coughs> Sorry, <laughs> wow. In fairness, wasn't I think this was before he was uh publicly yeah. uh considered a creep? So mm -hmm. we'll just we'll put our we'll, we'll time capsule our emotions right. about the, the people who star in this film, uh, somewhat. And uh, and we're just going to talk about it. why are we talking about Spider Man 3 uh, aside from the fact that it's the 15th anniversary. Um, of a movie that people probably don't care enough to celebrate anniversaries for. Uh, but I recently went back and watched it about a week and a half ago. Oh, hey. Hey. What's up? What? Hey. You dissected owl power. Well, all right. I found like a million jawbones. Okay. I have a good night if I don't see you. Bye. <laughs> hey, sorry. They're celebrating the 15th anniversary of nothing. Oh, cool. The scary part is those kids were just doing that for fun. It wasn't like part of school or anything. Yeah, no, so. they were at the library. They're, they're dorks like that. Right. Well, no, when I see it's still relevant to comics because when she said I was dissecting owl pellets, I was thinking of Watchmen. Like she yeah. was in, yeah, like it's, Night Owl's ship. And it's all part of the circle, guys. That's right. It's all part of the circle. So I was watching Spider-Man 3 with my youngest, who's five, and we're, we've been getting into comic book movies over the last year, and we've gone through the Supermans, a bunch of the Batmans, and we finally got to Spider-Man and started off with Raimi's you know, first, and then we watched Spider-Man 2, and that was an eye-opener because I'd only seen it once in the theater when it came out in 2004, mm -hmm. and I have hated that movie for almost two decades, wow. um, even though it's widely considered, well, at least before the the sort of the Marvel and you know, uh, Nolan Dark Knight, it was widely considered the best comic book movie. Um, it yeah, held it that was. title for for like a decade. Um, but I, I watched it again, and I was like, okay, I, I kind of know where my head was at when I watched it the first time, and I understand why I didn't like it. Um, but now I really do adore that movie. And then it came to Spider-Man 3. And I kind of had the same reaction when it was like, okay, now we have to watch Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Right. Got to do it. <laughs> Got to complete the education. Yeah, um, but I was watching it and I thought to myself, I, I kept waiting for the moment. I'm like, oh, this is this is just going to be emo Peter Parker dancing and too many villains and just like bad CGI. And, you know, Goblin has amnesia. It's like very soap opera. -y. But what I found and that's why I wanted to talk to somebody tonight. I'm glad you guys are my lifeline. I'll actually introduce you in a minute uh, is because I kept <laughs> waiting like a half hour would go by and then an hour and then, like, I'm halfway through the film. I'm like, where does this suck? Because I remember it being a lot worse than than it is. I'm not saying it doesn't have lots of problems. I'm just saying that whatever is different about my brain than it was in 2007, I appreciate this movie a lot more. And I think it's not a perfect film, but I think it's a perfect capper to yeah. Sam Raimi's trilogy. Um, so that's why we're talking about this tonight. And for those of you who might be wondering, you know, Again, I'm going to do this every time we talk about a superhero movie. 
my moratorium on superhero movies, which is lasting about a year. I think I've got 11 months or 10 and a half months left to go. Uh, that only counts for new superhero movies and TV shows. I can still go back and watch the classics or Spider-Man 3. And we're making an exception for DC's League of Super Pets in a couple of weeks because... As you should. That's, that's going to be my, my youngest first theatrical experience. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce my panel here. We've got uh, Topher Grace Ruins Everything, a.k.a. Don Shanahan of Every Movie Has a Lesson, and 25 Years Later, and the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast. We also have uh, Bully McGuire Johnson, <laughs> also known as Will Johnson, uh, of also the Cinephile Hissy Fit podcast. We might as well just, you know, call this a special edition Cinephile Hissy Fit podcast. Don, do you have the bell? Bet I do. Nice. Wow. Um, but it's so, always here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I think not to tell stories out of school, huh? Because yeah. you guys are a couple of teachers. Uh huh. Um, we have a fully balanced spectrum on Spider-Man 3 tonight. We've got Don, who even... Okay, let me just step back a second. I know I've been talking a bunch, but I want to set, mm -hmm. kind of set the ground rules here. The gateway to entry for this particular show, this live stream... And by the way, if you're watching this, please feel free to like and subscribe and jump into the comments and, and wrestle with us virtually. We will take all comments and questions. Uh, the requirement was you had to have watched Spider-Man 3 recently i put this call out like a week and uh, like a week ago or something and i said just make sure that you're not holding on to whatever you felt in 2007 whether you loved it or hated it i want you to watch it with fresh eyes so you can come to the conversation you know and and argue about it intelligently uh not that everyone's oh, gonna be convinced and that's certainly the case it. with don don you did, did not word yeah uh, what intelligently Intel <laughs> you're so the wrong words. two guys for that yeah <laughs> hey hey Ooh. hey um, but okay. so Will might disagree, not for you, uh, for him, but for you. But uh, no. Nah, so Don, you did not like this movie in 2007. You don't like it now. Will, you really you think you said you love this movie. I do. Right? I, always, okay. I always have. I always have. Yes. And uh, I knew Don was going to come on here. And for that, in full Bully Maguire mode, I'm going to stick some dirt in your eye today, buddy. Wow. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. oh, God. So the guy mine. liner will keep it out. Um, and I exactly. am square in the middle. I, I like this movie a lot more than I did when I first saw it, um, but I'm still not 100%. So let's get into it. All right. Yeah. Let's start off with the fact that this movie does have, I'll say it, too many villains. Does. It's got uh, Green Goblin Jr., uh, Harry Osborn, played by James Franco. Uh, it's got Thomas Hayden Church playing the Sandman. And it has, arguably, there's four villains because you've got Eddie Brock played by Topher Grace. And you have Venom, the space symbiote, before he became, uh, you know, got his own franchise. Uh, mm -hmm. He kind of attaches himself to Eddie Brock. So you've got these four villains because Brock was kind of a douche canoe before he got the suit. I think there's five, six. Six? six, five would be Willem Dafoe still shows up to stir the drink of James Franco and J. Jonah Jameson's always a villain. I don't think J. Jonah Jameson well, is a villain. I think he's a human lesson uh, and an obstacle that. that Pete has to nav navigate. I'm calling him Pete like we're best friends. Peter Parker, uh, played by Tobey Maguire. But let's uh, so we've got these these overstuffed uh, movie with villains. And that's usually a problem in superhero movies, even though this thing is like two hours and 20 minutes long. Mm -hmm. But what I thought was really interesting is where this movie starts as compared to where Spider-Man 2 started. Spider-Man 2 is pretty much all about 
Peter Parker has this responsibility because he's got great power, but his personal life kind of sucks. Uh, and his professional life, he can't get anything together. Whereas in this movie... Spider-Man's the toast of the town. He's got like these big events. He's got girls fawning all over him, including Gwen Stacy and, you know, her dad, Captain Stacy, who that's like a setup for a movie that was never going to happen. It's very odd. One of the many odd things about this movie. But in this film, we start off with Peter Parker on top of the world and Mary Jane having all sorts of problems. Her Broadway career is floundering. She doesn't know where she's at with Peter. Uh, she feels abandoned by him and by Spider-Man in a weird sense. And she kind of turns to... James Franco. Uh, so, guys, let's talk. Let me toss this over to you. Uh, just the premise of the movie before we get into the dancing Peter Parker and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. What do you think of this setup for Spider Man 3? Um, Will, you want this first? Yeah, yeah. I Go will. Uh, I'm going to do a couple things with this. Um, the, the production history this is one of those tortured production history films that are always fascinating to read about because. Because of the success of the first two Spider-Man, Spider-Man, um, you know, for some reason, the studio refused to just trust Raimi with his vision, you know. Um, so there are parts of this movie that are clearly Raimi. And then there's studio dictates that were given to him that he had to do. He had to do Venom. Mm -hmm. um, his, his original plan was to do uh, Vulture. And Sandman is kind of a combo. Um, and I think he was going to have Ben Kingsley play Vulture, I think, which would have been pretty cool. I'd heard that, um, yeah. But uh, so, but what I like about this film is he he said, okay, he'll play, he played ball. But there is a very, and the reason why I defend this film a lot is because he does, I think he does a pretty admirable job of trying to make his own film and then throwing stuff in there when he has to. I think Sandman is, really compelling villain uh the two i think the two big production notes were make sandman one of uncle ben's killers which is stupid and force force feed venom into the movie so i kind of look at it and i think the first hour hour and a half and i don't mind the bully mcguire stuff or emo peter parker stuff really i think it's fine um is a really solid, like you said, you were waiting every half hour for it to suck. And I don't think it does. I think towards the end when the studio, when you can tell the studio was like, okay, let's get Venom in here. I still think Raimi does a good job of putting his stamp on it because I think Venom is in the tradition of the horror films he makes is there's some, definitely some chilling imagery. Mm -hmm. um, is it as fleshed out of a character? No, but he had nothing to work with. So it's like one of those, it's like one of those things where I, I know he was put in a situation that he could not control necessarily. So I tend to give the film more of a break, which is why I love it. But, but in terms of the premise, uh, you asked me about the premise. I think the reason why I love this one, and I love it even more on a revisit is because I think this is uh, kind of the prototype of the MCU template. Um, when you uh. rewatch, when you rewatch this, there is this sense of comfort. Like I love the opening shot is just kind of Spider-Man just going through the city. There's no, there's nothing extravagant about it. It's, it's very like on the next issue of Spider-Man. It's yes. very comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that they introduce so many characters, let's let's, if we ignore the venom part, which was studio mandated, the fact that you have kind of all these interlocking pieces and it's so comfortably integrated. Thanks to Raimi doing a masterful job of setting up that universe in the first two. 
I think that they probably looked at that and said, you know, we could do this over more movies in the future. Like, I, I kind of did. Uh, I cheated a little bit. I haven't watched it since the No Way Home era because I rewatched all the Spider Man there. But I mean, it's last. It's six months ago. So, and I've watched. Well, it I, I was going to say. I also assume that that's probably something I should have mentioned in the in when I was talking to you guys. Like, if you haven't seen it recently, if you've at least seen it enough that you can you know talk about it, then that's yeah. fair. Don, I hope I didn't put you through unnecessary no. torture. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and, yes, but the things I do for your show. So yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I, I love just, it for it. I was just going to say that I think when I was watching it most recently, I got the most MCU feel from it. And, I, and I'm an MCU shill. I, I, they know I like that. I like the comfort. And I, and I also like that with a lot of series that have really great continuity. Like for me, the Lethal Weapon movies, Lethal Weapon 1 and 2 are the better movies. But like 3 and 4 are almost more enjoyable to watch in a way because you have that built-in comfort level where you like, you know the characters. There's not a lot of like, getting to re-know them and they don't do the thing that a lot of sequels do where they put them at odds with each other. It's just a good time with your friends. So I think a lot of what this film is, the premise of this film, what they set up is what would eventually become the MCU format, obviously done a little bit better and with a little yeah. bit more um, structure and <laughs> not as much like force feeding things in because they knew they'd have more films down the line to force feed stuff into yeah. as opposed to just like, well, we don't know if there's going to be a Spider-Man 4, so let's get Venom in there now because he's really popular. You know, that kind of thing. So, mm. lessons nope. learned. No, that's, mm. that's, a good, that's, a, that's a good setting of the, of the table there. So yeah. I want to pick up on some of that, but I want to get Don's, uh, Don's take. Sure. Um, uh, if I remember correctly, not only is Venom the studio-mandated edition, but Gwen Stacy is too. Am I right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, yes. so I have to... If I shave Venom and her out just to talk about premise... Um, yeah, Sandman is made to be uh, on its own uh, a reasonably compelling villain, and I know we are over inundated with it now, not so much then with the sympathetic villain trope. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, arguably, we just had a sympathetic p- villain trope in Spider-Man 2 with Dr. Octopus and one that's far more personal and done better than this one where I get that the dude has a daughter and has, you know, extenuating circumstances in which turns him into crime and all that. But the, the premise, if we're going there of connecting him as, uh, as Ben Parker's killer, it is too much. That's, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it was bad when they did it with Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson as Jack Napier and Batman It's bad here. Um, and then I get that the, um, the, Coming out of Spider-Man 2, like you said, Ian, where, where Spider-Man is on a on a returned high, to have him go through this cheesy ego trip situation before the symbiote in this movie, I get it. You know, like I get that that's where you can extend the highness of where he comes from and then obviously have some Mary, Mary Jane cl- um, clash in there a little bit because th- those two have always had just there but just missed, you know, uh, on hot and cold relationship uh, path. Uh, I get that, but at the same time, um, you know, we spend an awful lot of time with the theater stuff, and we spend an awful, which is fine because Mary Jane and she's a romantic lead, and you got to pass a Bechdel test somewhere. Um, and but uh, but uh, but I but the ego trip stuff just it gets cheesy in a hurry, and and some of that is made worse by the inclusion, and that's where the premise goes further. By the time you rope that into um, the Gwen Stacy stuff, now it's just really piling on. Because she has to be everywhere for the you know key to the city stuff. She's there at the dance scenes. She's there at the 
the, um, the the dinner with the engagement like she just really ruins the scenes that she comes in more than this guy ruins scenes that we're going to talk about later but um I, uh, I, I'll, also, I wanna, also let's, let's come back yeah. to that because I I, I, yeah, I want to come back to that. I, I very much disagree. But I also yeah. understand where you're coming yeah. from. But let's, yeah, but um, keep going. but no. Uh, the last thing I'll say, kind of in premise wise, is I don't mind um, because we knew it was coming. It was telegraphed for a long time. The the emergence of of Harry as you know the the next Green Goblin and 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 uh, ascending to that former mantle as father. We knew that progression would would be there. It was kind of promised and telegraphed where this was a the place to pull that trigger and do so. Now they do it with this really dumb amnesia angle, which is right out of like a you know an soap 80s opera. soap opera movie where when, when we're asking about premise, that's a dumb place to go because, like you said, we're making omelets and dancing to '60s tunes, and I'm like, no dashboard conventional soundtrack kids of the of the aughts millennium is gonna do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's yeah, that's where it loses me. Like, if if the premise is root Sandman as deep as they do, all the way to Ben Parker's killer, and place uh, play, um, place adversity between Peter and Mary Jane with you know with with ego in there mm-hmm. and then to emerge james franco's character higher but do it with the angle they did i don't mind it on a cocktail napkin but in execution it just it mm-hmm. it didn't work for me and then here we go with what also was piled in to really not make it work at least for can, me. I, can i make a comment on the piling in thing or do we want to wait on that because i uh, have a, no time like the present sir okay it is. So, and, and this will go to my Gwen Stacy def- uh, defense too, but I think the reason why some of the stuff that gets tacked on by the studio is so uh, apparent is not only in the rush screenplay, but because this film, just like the MCU would do, has done, uh, uh, or this franchise, had done um, a really great job of like setting up minor stuff. I mean, one thing that will always be really lost with the Spider-Man Raimi films is that we never got Lizard because they set up Kirk Connors yeah. very well. They set up, um, you know, they'd have like cameo appearances by Flash and, you know, the mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe is kind of the thing. And, and the and the Green Goblin Jr., whatever Ian called it, would was, a I think, a well-paced stretch yeah. from yeah. films one to three. The reason Pacing, why, I'll agree. The reason why Gwen Stacy suffers is because it's in hindsight – that we didn't get a Spider-Man four because I think if we ended up getting a Spider-Man four, she would have been the perfect foil situation for the mm. fourth film with Mary Jane and her, because I think it's only, she only suffers in hindsight because I actually think her character is an effective uh, stressor for the characters. I think it's an effective dramatic tool and yeah. knowing where the Gwen Stacy character would go in the comics yeah, it's, that's yeah I think it's too. a really good setup. And I think I, I only think the reason why she feels more forced is because we never got that fourth movie. I think if we <laughs> did, it would have been a better build up. I, I think it would have been the perfect introduction to that character. Hmm. Um, yeah. So that's my, my defense of that. Go ahead, Ian. I was going to say, I think, um, you know, Gwen Stacy is sort of, I think she works really well in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think the reason she gets kind of a bad rap, not that Bryce Dallas Howard does. I think she does really she, well with the character. She looks great. She looks and does great. Right. She looks it's, incredible. In this movie. It's right. It's, oh boy. It's what I like Holds to call the, the, yeah. <laughs> wow. Take a sip of that Coke, buddy. Okay. Mm. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're not getting more product placement, right? Yeah. It's hey, new generation. That's Pepsi. Hey, wait, we're, we're, we're sponsored by <laughs> Pepsi. Yeah. Uh, no, mm. um, she, she's a victim of what I like to call the normie problem, which is people read comic books. They know that, you know, Gwen Stacy and spoiler for anyone past like <laughs> the late sixties, uh, she was sort of one of Peter's early girlfriends and she died at the hands of the green goblin. Now, if you don't know that, if you're mm-hmm. just going to see the new Spider-Man movie in 2007 uh, and you don't read the comics, you just know the, the movies, it's just, okay, she's a new girl named Gwen Stacy and her dad's yeah. the chief of police. Uh, and she's sort of this romantic, t- I like the, the word that you used, Will, foil for mm-hmm. Peter Parker's love life. And I think it fits in because I, I, I like that she shows up at the restaurant during the botched proposal because it just, it helps to establish where Peter's head is at because sure. it's a great conversation. I think, you know, people have in relationships when there's like a best friend of the opposite sex or even like an acquaintance or a coworker where uh, Mary Jane is like, she just like put her hand on your shoulder and you didn't think anything of that. And he's like, mm. no, I'm, you know, I'm here to propose to you, you know, yeah. like he was, ob- he was just completely oblivious to it. And also the key to the city ceremony thing I thought was great because Spidey shows up, he's hanging upside down. Mary Jane is there to see that. And yeah. Peter Parker again, and she rightfully says, you know, she calls him out. I think mm-hmm. at the restaurant, like that was our kiss when yeah. he says, you know, yeah, give me a kit, you know, plant one on me. It'll look great to Gwen Stacy. Mm-hmm. And she does. And they recreate that moment from Spider-Man one, which is such an iconic, you know, I think yeah. it's kind of been lost in a lot of the, the subsequent MCU stuff, but back it's in the iconic spot. early to mid two totally. thousands, it was like, you saw that kiss everywhere. It was parodied and, and plastered mm-hmm. everywhere. So I like that this movie, even though it's got its problems, it really is conscious of the entire world mythology and continuity that's been building you know, through the previous yeah. uh, two films. Yeah, no, I think, um, like you're my, saying, that would continue if there was another film, and it would. I think it would show that her introduction was properly paced. Yeah, but, but it's, I, I but think it's even, broken and wrong from the start because well, Mary Jane in the Raimiverse is Gwen Stacy. She's the high school girlfriend, the early girlfriend. She's been dangled by a bus. Oh, I see what you. I see what you. You mean. know what I mean? Like yeah. if 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 the roles were reversed as they kind of maybe should have been. Where and I know they wouldn't have done this, but if Kirsten Dunst is the hot redhead from work, uh, you know, go get him Tiger Mary, the the actual Mary Jane, and and all of this whole time, and it would require dropping all the actress stuff that 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 Mary Jane made that character. But like, unfortunately, Mary Jane has always been created in the Raimiverse to be in the Gwen Stacy spot. So for the Gwen Stacy who isn't gonna die to show up in the not die spot is on a comic sin. In my well, but but here's the thing, and again, but, but that's and I I agree mm-hmm. with you, Don. It's a comic sin, but yeah. we're talking about its own a thing that's its own beast. But now, when I, you force it into the movie, right? But here's the thing: we're like, ooh, now you're right. sitting in, rubbing it in, like ah, but, that's a little much. Yes, but what I'm saying is, and maybe they just should have named this character something else. She could have now been we're a company blonde yeah. whose dad happens to be the chief of police. You can make because her Felicia I, Hardy at this point, and I still would have bought it with the great blonde Bryce Dallas Howard. Then it would Remove have had to captain. have been Spider-Man Four because I wanted to see her in that uh, in that black cat costume. Oh yes, but but, but here's like, that would have gone somewhere better than a weak Captain Stacy and have her conveniently be everywhere where leadership was needed at the model shoot for the crane at the key. Like the overconvenience of her character would be a little more 
mysterious because it's Felicia Hardy. But then again, well, isn't also, that also, isn't that also Elizabeth Banks in disguise waiting at the office? This too? this is also Don's big bugaboo about Spider-Man in general and comic book movies mm-hmm. in general. He hates hates that, and I'm okay with it. But he hates that. Like, there's only eight people in New York, and they all know each other. Like he, uh, yes. well, and I, I, I get that too. I get that too. I totally get it. Yeah, I understand Thank here, you. but but I'm saying I don't think Gwen Stacy falls into that trap as much as you know some other instances we could talk about. I don't because know, yeah, she I was at the, she was at the model shoot right in in this yeah. skyscraper, and Spidey was there. He swooped in to save her. Just yeah. like he's saved hundreds of other people, you know, in the years that he's been Spider-Man. You lost me a hundred. It's a great, it's a great set piece, right? But awesome because set of, totally because there, of right? that heroism, and he saved a whole bunch of people by not only saving her, but also, you know, from that, you know, that runaway crane, mm-hmm. he gets the key to the city. And, you know, this high profile daughter of the police chief was rescued in that. She hands him the key to the city. Yeah. So it's not I get like how she she's a mechanism. She yeah, no. she's woven throughout the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Showing up. Yeah. Here's the next layer where, like, I'll push back and say, wrong mechanism. I mean, wrong character to be the mechanism because of the history that's being smeared by it. And then you make her like a one date boyfriend of of Brock. Like now we're just now now it's piling on. Like it, that now yeah. we're. Too I, I agree. The, I think the Brock the Brock connection when I was watching this that did feel a bit odd to me. And now we're back to magical action in a city of 9 million people. (laughs) Sam Raimi was going to have that character in the movie very briefly. Yeah. But because the studio dictated. Right. Like if Brock. They had to expand him, which I don't blame Raimi for because that's just, like I said, he's working with what he, I mean, unlike Gwen Stacy, everything with Venom is super rushed, super. Yeah. Super like we got to get to A to B to C in like 10 minutes. As much as I hate Topher Grace, like if, (laughs) if, and I hate Topher Grace, he ruins every movie he's in. Um, but as much as I hate Topher Grace, if he was just here all movie as the sniveling, competitive Eddie Brock, and your last image of the movie is, you know, uh, a symbiote Spider Man winning and saving the day against whatever, but freeing himself of the costume, where maybe there's just that hint of like Eddie Brock being around for that first little drop, or however you want to play it. But like, yeah. if that, like you said, wasn't rushed and and the cliffhanger to get you to four. I could buy that and I could hang around enough to be like, all right, Topher, let's see what you can do next oh, movie sure. now that you've bought us into the Brock part, even though I don't think he's a very good fit for the Brock part, but at least he would have had time in less rush. Well, I think, and again, I, I'm having trouble here because I'm a big comic book reader and I was reading like the Venom and the Carnage storylines and all that stuff, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I get it because the Eddie Brock that we get in this movie is different than the Eddie Brock in the comics. Um, from what I remember, anyway. Yeah, he's like uh, a brick shit house in the comics. Right, you know, he's, like, he's a more imposing figure. Yeah. Tom uh, Hardy. Where is the matter? Back. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, but in this one, he's almost like the mirror image of Peter Parker. You know, and I think and, that's yeah. that was a, an intentional choice. But I, like, I'm gonna I, get to that in a second. Well, but I want to, I want to, I want to close out on Gwen Stacy here for a second. Okay. Because the feeling I got from this movie was that and maybe this is my naivete, but the reading I got was that this was it. Like they weren't planning on doing Spider-Man four, or if they were going to do it, maybe they were going to recast and relaunch like they ended up doing with amazing Spider-Man, or they were going to start like a new trilogy because Hmm. the way Gwen Stacy exits this picture, she is just, you know, they could have just called her Rachel, you know, because her whole arc 
is she kind of falls in love with Spider-Man, or at least the hero aspect of it. And then she kind of ditches the sniveling little Eddie Brock guy. She kind of goes along with Peter Parker because he gets this you know, sense of confidence to ask her out. But then it turns out that he's just using her to get back at Mary Jane. And then she's like, the completion of her arc is like, I don't need this. I'm kind of done with these like little shrimpy, you know, egotistical, nerdy guys. I'm out of here. And then she exits picture. She doesn't show up getting, you know, it's not like the big confrontation with Venom and Sandman and there's like two girls dangling from taxi cabs above the city. She's just out of the picture. And I think that's a great way for her to leave. Now, people who are like, but it's Gwen Stacy. I'm like, yes, I understand. Maybe that was a mistake. But in the context of this film, if you can put aside what you know about what she's supposed to be, I think she works really well. And I'm that guy that says, even if you give her another name, she's in too many places. Uh, I it's again, but I, made worse by the other. But we'll we'll close it out. Okay. No, I I I, I don't no, I, disagree. I, I was again, the, I, there's a lot of love hate in here. Not love. Yeah, hate, yeah, yeah. I understand there's problems with the stuff I love. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Ian was essentially half right about the the idea of a, another trilogy. Um, oh, okay. But Spider-Man oh, yeah, Four, stuff. from what I researched before we got on the show, Spider-Man Four was in like a serious form of development for a while. There were scripts written multiple drafts uh Ramey was involved for a number of years trying to get it off the ground so and but the intention was to make another trilogy like four or five and six so mm. that, that wasn't okay. the plan but spider-man 4 was in serious development for a while so this i think it's the critical response of this that made them go oh crap, i think so start over because yeah because it made money was, it made great money it made money and the other the first two were critically loved so mm-hmm. i think I think Spider-Man Four is always ready to go. Uh, it's just I think it's a shame the the winds of this, you know, from people crapping all over it or whatever. Um, speaking of Topher Grace, remember in um, all those random uh, Spider-Man Three references and knocked up, like like <laughs> yeah. they're always like, "Hey, we're gonna go see Spider-Man Three in a couple hours," you know, like, and it was probably probably because I guess he's a friend of the. Appetite people, I don't know, but sure. If you ever watch that in a time capsule, people are gonna be like Spider-Man three. Which one are they talking about? Spider-Man No Way Home? What are they? You know, it's like very, very random. You know, like it's just a random. It's like the yeah. the Osborne the Osborne showing up in that second Austin Powers film. It's very yeah. dated reference to the time that movie came out. Yeah, I. That's the thing is, again, I think this this. And I want to jump ahead a bit to the end of the movie because it's Go something it. that really struck out, uh, stuck out to me. Uh, the first two movies ended exactly the same. Spidey defeats the yep. villain. And even though it's kind of a melancholy victory because he ends up killing two, you know, sort of mentor, almost, you know, pseudo father figures that he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's lost a lot of father figures in his life. Mm-hmm. He always ends up swinging through the city. And there's like the big heroic score and everything. This ends with... Peter going to see Mary Jane like performing at that like coffee bar, I think, or or maybe it was a different place, but she comes down off the stage and they just kind of like hold each other and they're sort of like dancing Mm. and it's very slow and they have this look of uncertainty. It's almost like, and yes, I'm going to make this comparison, sue me. It's almost like the end of The Graduate where, uh, you know, they elope, they run away from the church because, which is sort of like the end of Spider-Man 2. Yeah, you know, running out of that, running out of the 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 marriage it was never meant to be. They get on the bus, and you think it's going to be 
great sunshine and roses mm -hmm. but as they pull away you see them and they just kind of like stop and they're just sort of like looking at each other like well now what like where do we yeah. go from here was this a good idea and that's the the vibe i got from the end of spider-man 3 i'm like wait they're cutting to black and going to credits this is not summer blockbuster material <laughs> well and yeah. because and because spider-man 4 never happened they actually kind of allude to that in no way home by they not do. much but yeah. they kind of say like and eh, we worked out our, our issues she's still around but you get the impression that they're not exactly like the happily married forever mm -hmm. couple it's like they've difficult. got issues they've got stuff stuff and and, you know, it's the power of those characters that lets you like have two lines that explain that no way home. And you're like, oh, yeah, I get I get it. It's fluid. It goes from where you're talking about. And but even before that, if you'll remember um, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, mm -hmm. the Peter Parker from that reality who ends up going, you know, crossing over and joining with Miles Morales. He part of his arc is that things fell apart with Mary Jane. So when he runs into the Mary Jane of Miles Morales's reality, he's like you know, love struck and, you know, mm -hmm. nervous and everything is like, I got to make this, you know, work or whatever, because <laughs> things got screwed up. And he finally finds the courage at the end to go back to his, you know, regular life and try and make it work. So yeah, I don't know that either. Well, No Way Home definitely is connected to the original trilogy. Yes. I don't know that Into the Spider-Verse is, but it feels like there are threads <laughs> possibly yeah, like reaching out I there. Think, I think eventually it may, uh, because they're, right. they're starting to... The MCU is starting to uh, implement the idea of animated characters being able to show up. I mean, like what if? very uh -huh. briefly in Doctor Strange, they're in an animated universe. Um, Captain Carter. And that, yeah. uh, Captain Carter has showed up. So mm -hmm. it's very possible they could end up being some connection. Though I will say that in Spider-Verse, a very select part of the audience was laughing when they reference Emo Parker dancing and they're like we don't talk about that part <laughs> of yeah. spider-man's history yeah which i thought was pretty great because you know some of us live that like it's like it's our vietnam oh. you know? <laughs> true <laughs> it hurts it hurts yeah <laughs> let's let's talk about emo Good. parker oh boy i i will uh. defend emo parker in a way that i would not have defended emo parker before watching before this rewatch but actually i'm gonna take a quick break here because we've mm. got some comments yeah, hit it and I, I feel like we can't deny petty our recently minted computer science phd right Doctor. uh yes good night guys wait are you leaving no uh when the movie was released sam raimi already knew that something was not going to work one of the worst things is emo peter we will talk about that petty i agree but i don't agree I think you'll agree with me that one of the best things about the movie is J.J. Jameson's performance by J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons was the best actor of the trilogy. No argument there. Uh, I think he was the most comic accurate. I don't know about mm -hmm. best actor, but he's definitely up there. Because, I mean, you've got Alfred yeah. Molina as Dr. Octopus. He's very good. Uh, Willem Def there's, there's so much there's solid acting in this movie, even with Harry Osborn. Mm -hmm. Yes, even in this movie, I think. Um, I got... I got I'll give. I'll, I'll do Defoe. I'll do Molina, and I'll do Simmons. After I didn't that, know you went that way. No, no, no. But right. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. after that, I fail to find good. I because I, I think Kirsten Dunst is a wet paper bag. What? I think Tobey Maguire. Absolutely not. No way. I think Tobey um, Maguire has just not just emo Parker, but before then he just is t way too daft. And and then Franco's Franco and. I, I it, it's a drop off after those three. Franco is Big really drop. bad. Franco's really bad in Spider Man 2. He's really yes. bad in that one. Oh, um, I but barely no, remember I, him being in it. 
it, yeah, no, that's the whole point. It's it's a it's a he's bad. But no, uh, to defend the J.K. Simmons thing, mm-hmm. I think it's I think he's so good in these movies that like you could have arguments that if they put a Doctor Octopus in the MCU, which they kind of have now, but you could mm-hmm. see them recasting. You could see them recasting a Green Goblin, which they did in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. I don't think you can replace J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. And I they've mean, proven think, that by bringing I think him that's right how in. good yeah. – I think that's how that's how good of a character he is. Yeah. And to defend J. Jonah Jameson's honor as not a true villain, there's one thing – there's one human <laughs> element that I really loved Sam Raimi did. I don't remember if it's in one or two. I think it's two. Okay. But it's either Green Goblin or Dr. Octopus is, like, choking him in his office and says like, where did you get those pictures of Spider-Man or whatever? And Jay Jonas, Janison knows Peter Parker took the pictures and he doesn't reveal the name. So I thought like there's, a, there is like That's a old dog there, journalist. There's a, da- move, you know? I know, but there's a dastardly element to him, but like, he's also to not, Spider-Man, like, not he's to not, his people. Right. He's also not a coward. Who's going to be like, whatever you say, sir. Yeah. That was Peter Parker. Like, yeah, yeah, I, like, yeah. I like I that, that. He had that moment of that's cool. Like I'm sticking up for my guys, and that was cool. Okay. I well, was- I also liked in Spider-Man Two the whole bit where Mary Jane was engaged to his son, and then at the wedding, like when she walked out, like yeah, he was mad, but you also got the sense that he was really kind of sad just for a bit moment for his son, because mm-hmm. his kid didn't. Uh, we didn't get a lot of him in the movie because no. he wasn't important. But we didn't get we got the sense that he was at least the kind of guy that Mary Jane could end up with. Uh, not, you know, he wasn't J. Jonah Jameson Jr. in temperament. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And and the other weird thing is that I think a lot of people expected because I remember when the trailers for Spider-Man 2 came out and we have the scene of like, I uh, can't remember his name, but Captain Jameson, like because he's an astronaut. Right. Right. He and Mary Jane kind of coming down the steps. And there's all these you know flash bulbs going off. Mm-hmm. People were suspecting. That oh he's an astronaut he's gonna go into space and bring back the Venom symbiote yeah now that didn't I was ready happen to that too. yeah right and I think that was sort of a missed opportunity I think you start oh you, you could... mean a missed opportunity not to have one more thing related to the same nine people in the movie oh thank God oh, well God. no I'm just I'm just gonna say if you if <laughs> know, you want know, to and yeah. you could have I'm not saying put Venom in Spider Man two I'm just saying plant that plant, seed plant. there I'd be cool with a planted seed there yeah. and then even what would have been kind of like Hitchcock's you know suitcase bomb. And yes, I just said that on YouTube. I'm sorry. I hope we don't get de-streamed. But that whole idea of the if there's a bomb in a suitcase under a table, you know, suspense is, you know, just wondering when it's going to go off or if. Mm-hmm. Imagine there is a Spider-Man 4. You plant the Venom seed in Spider-Man 2 and don't bring it back for two movies. And you're like, yeah. oh, my God, would, that's right. I would love that. Yeah. But right. no studio is ever that patient unless your name is Marvel. And unless your name is Marvel in phase one and two, and that's it. Yeah, and that's where – and this is one of the things I want to get to, um, and we'll get back to emo Peter Parker, but yeah, I think there's way too many plot lines in this movie. I think that 80 to 90% of them are handled very well for the 10 minutes of screen time that they get. They're almost like mini pilots yeah. for other movies or a Spider-Man TV show. Yeah, I know we disagree. Like, on, I know we disagree no, on the amnesia you. thing with with Harry. Uh, yeah, I could but, shave off the amnesia, but like the tension between Mary Jane and Peter and their the 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 dichotomy of ego and success, very solidly done for what it is, despite the the frenzy of which it's mixed in. Yeah. Um. Uh. 
uh, and then yeah, obviously our emergence of Franco. I don't buy the amnesia part, but the fact that we're building back to villainous Franco is worth it. Sandman worth it until you do the Ben Parker thing, but worth it. Um, uh, Jonah J. Jomison's angle of like the competing photographer parts of Eddie Brock rushed and in, in there, but worth it. Yeah, I'm with you there. Just the pieces that are there can be good, but there's just too many of them, and then there's always that one little hitch that f's them up. I just figured out how you make the amnesia thing really work. Ooh, I'm listening. Now, I I think in we a vacuum. Oh, I'm sorry. What was nice? That? Nice. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should change your name right now to James Franco. Ruins everything. Oh, I did. Well, I didn't have enough room. <laughs> just your earpiece for the reading. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so, thank you. Yeah. In the movie. You know, Franco reemerges as the as you know he takes up the mantle of the Green Goblin. He attacks Peter Parker when he's on his scooter. They fight above mm -hmm. the city. Franco gets knocked down and you know into an alley, and he goes to the hospital. And that's when it's discovered that he has amnesia, which allows him to forget only the last like I guess year or whatever since his if dad that, died. Yeah. He remembers that he and Mary Jane and Peter Parker were once close. And so, again, that comes back to that kind of ticking time bomb element. There's a moment of suspense, like, is he... Because you see, this is sort of like part of Peter Parker's, everything's going up roses for him. Right. Because he's like, hey, my best friend is back. Yeah. And hopefully he'll never remember the truth. <laughs> yeah. But I think, because it is kind of ridiculous, especially because he comes back, he is great, everything's fine but then he remembers because his ghost dad visits him not bill cosby <laughs> right uh, and Jeez. then he then he takes up the mantle of green Go well but he yeah. he gets the G green goblin thing again and then they fight he has a pumpkin bomb thrown into his face i know do you remember what those things did to the corporate board of oscorp in the first I movie? Do. turned them into yeah. glowing blue skeletons this yeah. thing blew up centimeters from his face yeah. and he just ends up heals quick guard. too doesn't he yeah <laughs> Well, he's gone for like 40 minutes. You're like, oh, shit, yeah. that's right. Harry Osborne was in this movie. The way you fix the amnesia storyline. Okay. You play the long game. You go to the hospital. <coughs> the doctor comes out and says, yes, he's got short-term amnesia, and you mm -hmm. go with it. And then okay. you just have Harry Osborne gradually, we see him manipulating the situation and ending Which up I where enjoy. he ends up, right? Yeah. And then when he pulls the reveal to Peter Parker, he's like, amnesia really i paid that doctor to tell you that <laughs> yeah yeah i'm the son of a millionaire you idiot yeah. I, you, I was hoping you for let more him nefarious be puppet strings yeah totally yeah. like let, let, let's elevate him more like because when he starts to control and manipulate that's really like ooh, even willem didn't do that let's go there and then they kind of don't so and if and you can like even stretch like that out to another movie because totally. for as much flack as the amazing spider-man got the garfield films the one thing I thought was kind of cool is that you've got the Harry Osborne of that movie trying to pull together the Sinister Six mm -hmm. using like his dad's too. resources. Imagine a James Franco, sorry to say his name again, um, beginning planting those seeds of building a supervillain coalition to go against Spider-Man in Spider-Man 3, 4, 5. And then you end yeah. up with the Sinister, yes, Spider-Man 6. I like it. It could be totally but, done. Yeah, if this was build up three, get, but, yeah. but no, if this was build up three and you do a venom blowout in four, um, a, a cratered, you know, return of things in five that that builds and flows, and then six is the throwdown, that would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, well, do you want to jump in here because I'm ready to talk about emo Peter? Emo Peter, 
Yeah. Well, I want gonna, I want well to talk. I'm, I feel like uh, I'm monopolizing things. No, 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 you're all good. All right. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna defend Emo Parker off off the bat um, because um, that this is also something that is not helped with the Topher Grace situation because what they're setting up is interesting. Uh, they've touched a little bit on this um, in Marvel recently in the MCU, like with Kang and things like that. It's kind of like that. Wow. Like imagine if this was given to someone truly evil or something. Mm. What I, what I like about what the black suit does to him. Yeah. It makes him a dork, but it's a Sam Raimi film. It's going to be cheesy and dorky. What I like about it is that he's so inherently good that it takes a long time for him to be like so bad that he has to like hit Mary Jane in the face. Right. But mostly it just increases his ego, makes him dance around and stuff. Sure. Now, the reason why I say that the Topher Grace stuff kind of hurts that part of it is because, because we're force fed Topher Grace and he has to turn so quickly. Mm. It, we, we don't, we never buy that he's truly evil, but we also don't know how good he is. So the turn kind of hinders his turn to an evil person uh, kind of hinders the development of what they were doing with Peter Parker, which is imagine if this malevolent force took over such a good person that the worst thing they really do is just kind of dance aggressively and point. <laughs> and sure. and, and, and yeah. then and then you would see if it was better written or we didn't have Topher Grace, maybe it was a different character, maybe the main yeah. villain or something – if you saw what that would do immediately to a person who is truly evil or mean, you would see that. So that's mm -hmm. why I kind of give it a break because I know where they're going with it, but it's, sure. it's actually not the Tobey Maguire Raimi part that's at fault. I think it's the Venom stuff because see, the suit is doing what it would do to a naturally good person. I mean, it takes him yeah. a long time to get – and I, I don't think he – he doesn't, uh, and then, correct me if I'm wrong, so it's been a couple months, but he doesn't strike Mary Jane because it's Mary Jane. He's reacting yeah. to yeah, someone yeah. grabbing it's, him, right? So it's not like he was like, Mary Jane, paw! Like, it's yeah. more of like a, it's more of a reaction thing. A WWE like, bump, yes. But it's it also, but it also speaks to what you're talking about, Will. Peter Parker is such <sighs> a virtuous person that it takes him slapping or, you know, striking Mary Jane you know, if this had been James Franco under the influence, and I'm not talking yeah. about uh, Harry Osborn, I'm talking about actually James Franco. If it had been him sure. under the influence of the Venom costume, I think he would have just kept going. Be like, yeah, this is that's what you get. But no, no absolutely. Peter, absolutely. Peter is like, I've done a horrible thing. I've got to get this thing off of me. Um, so and, great, and, and I yeah. think it also, the, the fact, this supports one of the best scenes in the movie too. The fact that we've been introduced to such a goofy version like pseudo evil peter parker right it makes like the scene where he's trying to get the damn thing off of the bell tower more sure fright more frightening because you realize like how deeply ingrained it was in him that i mean sure. even though he wasn't doing anything like truly evil like that's where this thing is in I'm his good. this is in his yeah. body like i love that scene where like he's just screaming scene, yeah. to get that damn thing out of his body yeah. like and that's a very hor horrifying moment. And right. I think the juxtaposition of that, you're seeing Goofy dancing Peter Parker, and then suddenly you've got this guy trying to rip this organism out of his body. It's well, that's, pretty haunting, that's, really, in my opinion. See, yeah. that's where I come at it, where I – call me the twisted one, uh, especially with the presence of Raimi. I don't think any of that turn 
for him picking up the symbiote and turning emo in this movie, I don't think any of it is dark enough. Especially considering Rainy's not, and his, I know, Rainey's but you, not but, a dark guy. Yeah, Rainey is he has dark, dark, dark humor, like yes. the, fount, the fountain of and blood emo, and army of darkness. Yes. And stuff. But he's also got you know reindeer statues, no, like evil ghouls. When you, like he's not serious. Like he's but not when super you. Dark. But yeah. what the but the thing is, like when you're talking about the the, the course of, between becoming emo and the virtuous guy becoming dorky instead of evil. And then you want that to matter by the time we get to the bell tower, we're anguishing good scene. Bravo for sure. But if before that, um, the, the circumstances that got him there were truly hefty mistakes born from evil uh, or just harder mistakes than accidentally hitting a girl. Like I said, a WWE manager style, like I didn't mean to hit you. Oh my gosh. Was the referee watching like just that, 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 the emo stuff to me isn't dark enough it, when he's borrowing milk and cookies from the neighbor. Like I get the nonchalantness and I get that if you take a virtuous person and you do that, where we're playing Captain America Erskine shit here, where like, I, I know what it turns people into, but for me, if you want that anguish to be anguish, have it come with some pain and some mistakes that have to be fixed from it. And there's not enough of that when all you're doing is pointing. And well, dance. let me, let no, me no, ask I, you this. I get I, that, but that's what, yeah. that was my point basically is that, we're not getting the effective use of the other side of it to mi- drive home yeah, the evil no, part. No, if this longer. Is, this like, is what I want. If this, this, is what if I want this to... wasn't rushed and this was more than a montage and a half of bad songs, if this was 45 minutes of a movie and Peter descends further and further and there's time given to that and we get to that bell tower and all that, then the anguish, has, the anguish, the change, the transformation of that guy, character traits and all, has been baked in a little longer than the very quick emo stuff that it is. Well, uh, two two points. One, um, and this has kind of become a, a trope in third installments of comic book movies. Ooh. Not necessarily the the new Spider Man movies, but it happened in Superman three. It happened in uh, X Men three, Spider Man mm-hmm. three. The the main hero goes bad. And I yeah. think the gold standard of this is still Superman three. It's because going. Superman really gets, you know, dark and drunk and like he has maybe consensual sex with a woman. <coughs> uh-huh. He just like does all this stuff. He, you know, cracks the leaning lean power of Pisa or straightens it out, whatever. But that's a really good example of what I think you guys are, are looking for. But my yeah. question, and this might sound like I'm going back on what I had said about comics earlier, but it's just a question. My recollection of, and I haven't read all of the Spider-Man comics and all the Venom stories, so it might be that I just missed a bunch. But my recollection is that the spider suit, which I think came from like Secret Wars initially. Sure did. Yeah. Secret Wars, you know, he brought the suit back to Earth and it's just a black Spider-Man costume until he realizes actually, you know, this alien thing that's (laughs) trying to change me. But Mm -hmm. my recollection of Venom is that it was an antagonistic relationship uh, you know, pretty early on. Yeah, like, it's the, I don't, the bipolar it's the, you know, stuff and the dual identity stuff like that they play up really well in the Hardy stuff, even though it's a, a hard hammy thing to sell. I wish more of that was in this. But, but that's what I'm getting at. Like the source material that they were looking at, was there a comics run where Peter Parker really went insane and did a bunch of regrettable things in the Venom costume? Uh, or was it more like not. what we're seeing in this movie well, like that costume becomes its that. own evil well, thing. Nothing yeah. like what's in this movie, but no, nothing like what's in this movie. Well, not, but, but what I'm saying is the degree to which he's affected yeah. by the suit. Yes. He never the goes completely com- dark. 
the best comp I got is actually the 94 cartoon. Um, the three, the three movie arc of Venom in that cartoon where you where Peter gets rough and mean and loud, like it's pretty damn good for right. for a cartoon of all things. Where go find the and it's like a three parter and an easy thing to do. Where do the Venom saga of the 94 cartoon? Well, that's what it's sort of what I'm getting at is yeah, the people who were writing this movie, if they're going oh, back, boy. and I don't know if they're watching the cartoons or if they're just like looking at the source material, it might not have occurred to them to say, okay, Peter Parker is going to take on this suit and he's going to do some really crazy, dark, messed up things. The point is he gets this suit, he's tempted and sort of corrupted by it a bit, but then he right. realizes what it is because it's eddie brock who's supposed to be the villain of the piece it's never supposed to be peter parker so yeah. again i agree with you i think this could have gone in a much darker direction but i think the storyline that we have i think if you pad that out for 40 minutes uh and get yeah, rid of some of the other stuff i think it work i think the topher gray stuff could work because you're right will i think the problem is we don't get enough time with his character and the bits we do get are sort of uneven, like the whole thing of like, oh, he's going out with Gwen Stacy kind of, or they had a one night stand or whatever. Yeah. But I love the scene in the Daily Bugle where he's posted the, you know, he got the, he's got the new promotion to Peter's old job. He's got the big framed cover of mm -hmm. Spider-Man in the black suit, like stealing money or whatever it was. And then yeah. emo Peter comes in and says, you know, hey, I, I know I have the the proof here that you photoshopped that and you stole like my old pictures and photoshopped, you know, their, your nonsense in it. And Brock is like, look, man, it, it, he doesn't like get, he gets a little bit defensive, but he doesn't mm -hmm. like threaten him. He kind of melts. Yeah. He's like, look, you can and, really ruin my and career. Brick house, and Brickhouse comic Brock wouldn't, he would, right. he'd flip. And, right. but and what I like about that is that that vulnerability that I think the Venom symbiote eventually, I think, again, you pad this out or flesh this out more and you get it. But I yeah, got yeah. that from this. The Venom symbiote was feeding on Brock's insecurity, giving him mm. the power that he always wanted to have, the confidence he always wanted. Yeah. I think he portrays himself or he thinks of himself as sort of a, a ladies man. You can see it in the way he talks to Gwen, but he is just kind of a dork, almost like yeah. Peter Parker. He's a more of a suave, insecure, you know, you could almost call he, him an incel. Still his fault. Because <laughs> he, he, he can't play ladies man, even a fake one. And then by the time you put the teeth <laughs> and the, the pulled up makeup eyebrow on him like i can't raise my eyebrow but let's let a piece of the symbiote pull it up for you it's it, like his <laughs> his portrayal of the dual role of venom is just so bad like well yeah he was goes, already bad and then when he shows up as venom it's awful and that's a bad writing part too is that yeah it goes from what he's talking about which i think is effective the vulnerability part I think it goes from yeah. that, and then like maybe like a scene later, he's in church going like, "Please God, yeah, kill yeah. Peter Park." Like you're like, How "Where's that time of that unemployment moment? too?" You know, like, like if yeah. Well, I actually, I actually liked that moment that scene because belongs. it's it's almost it's quick. Yeah. Well, it's but it's it's, it's almost like a uh, it's a good, moment. It's a good yeah. moment. And I remember I was at Comic Con I think the year before this movie came out, and Ooh. they were showing like some teaser stuff, and that was what they. That was how yeah, they, they revealed Venom, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that the real cut when Venom like launched yeah, the screen or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I there was a nice turn where you see Eddie Brock go into the church and sit down and or kneel and pray, and he's like doing something sincere, and then he's like, "Please, God, please kill Peter Parker." It's mm -hmm. like this dark, like, "Holy shit, what are we even talking yeah. about now?" Um, but I think 
like later on when they're up in the web and they're doing the toll taxi cab thing and you know mm-hmm. venom has or brock has peter parker you know dead to rights he's kind of the mask comes back and that insecurity he's like you stole my job you stole my mm-hmm. girl like it is it's not that evil like leering villainous thing it's the yeah. insecurity it's coming out and it's yeah. the monster giving him the ability to exact to take out his insecurities yeah. on the guy that he's projecting is the source of all of his problems yeah i think that was really effective it's just that again oh. it's the it's it's you know number 16 of 17 things yeah. that are happening in this club well, it re- that that reminds me a lot this i think this would have happened two years before because when did episode three of Star Wars come out? 2005? The year before yeah. this. Mm-hmm. The year before. Okay, so it reminds two, me of two that years. moment. Two, yeah. yeah. It, mm-hmm. it reminds me of that moment with Obi-Wan when he, Ewan McGregor, giving it his all, is screaming like, you were the chosen one. You were you know, like, in isolation, you're like, wow, that must be a really powerful moment that's been built up over three films. Must be the extraordinary, mm-hmm. right? And then you watch it in the context of the three films. You're like, oh, well, yeah. where did that come from? Because there's nothing that justifies that kind of reaction. That's kind of what I got here was, yeah, I love all of these scenes in isolation are cool. They're just they don't make sense put together. You know, yeah. Thank you. Uh, or well, not. Then, <laughs> well, John's vindicated. Good night. Yeah. But no, but with, uh, the uh, other uh, thing with Venom, but the other thing with Venom is he's supposed to be the indomitable undetectable spotter sense scariest mfer he's ever yeah, faced you've always had this and problem. it's tofer grace it's oh like as soon as well, he you, like you shows up like with yeah and tom, tom hardy's tom hardy's no better he's a boob he just they, they they i get that the dual the dual identity thing is a hammy sidebar thing but it can't be all moving every time he's on screen but i think and that's to, oh, to support what the education of the best of- villain he's got and Ian will know more than I do because about Venom because I, yeah. I never really liked the comic version much. I only like the movie version from Tom Hardy. So he'll know better mm-hmm. than me. But I think in comics history, w- w- am I wrong in assuming that for the most part, he's more of an anti-hero yeah. slash well after. Guy, as opposed yeah. to when, when he was introduced as a bad MFer? Right. Yeah. yeah sure. I, that's kind of where I dropped off. Like when Venom became Wolverine in that he had Thank to be you. part of everything. And like, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it's kind of like what Batman is now in DC. Like there's like 900 Batman comics out there. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I kind of, you know, but they had to do something with Venom to, you know, warrant giving him into his own series. I would love mm-hmm. to see a Venom movie where it was just about this, you know, a villainous character who needs to be, you know, turn him into you know, the, the MCU's Jason Voorhees, you know. Something, uh, man. You know, you Scary. could even have... Right. Especially well, with Rainy. But in, in the connotation oh, that he's the, he's, in the unstoppable, he's the unstoppable force that has to be put down by the virtuous sure. characters. I'm not saying you and, have and, to have, like... By the seven. skin of his teeth, too. Not the banging some bars and throwing bomb. Like, he's also beaten so easily. Well, it's but that that, that is actually from what I remember. That is I know comics that's comic accurate. accurate, but, but like, I thought still, I thought it yeah. was a it is an interesting. It was kind of cheesy the way that Peter had the flashback to the bell tower and everything. But I think yeah. that was a bit of comics language because people were probably so checked out by then. They're like, "What?" Oh yeah, but because that I, scene's beaten to death for me by all the newsreel forced like care moment. Like you should be feeling bad because the newsman told you, "Oh crap, look what's happening!" Like. And that, that random that like over, British news reporter. Oh, it's <laughs> like, all, all that that layer overbakes that scene where like if you have sympathetic villain Sandman and you have, you know your your evilest mirror image Venom, 
get the public out of the way and have mono mono not the newsreel stuff. So, well, yeah, I'm, it, I'm going to check out by that scene, too. But in fairness, if they it's have New York, yeah, I know. Well, I but anywhere you've there. got you know people suspended by giant spider webs I and the sand monster and stuff, there's going to be a Great. crowd. Leave them on the ground and have some screams, but don't what give them the New York accent. Was that? I don't know what New York <laughs> accent that was, but it's working for me. Are you talking? Dude, about you could it? have a, a part in Moon Knight season two. <laughs> um, exactly. But, you know, uh, <laughs> what is it's already the king? Oh. So might as well. Yeah. Mm. The head, um, world head. That's all I was saying. Damn it! I was gonna say something. I completely lost it. Hold on. Let me. Let's go because Petty's got yeah. some other things to say. Yeah, here's here. up. Generation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that when Stanley saw Peter in this movie, he must have thought the Godfather. Where Vito says, "Look how they massacred my boy." R.I.P. James <laughs> Conn, by the way. Uh, or perhaps uh, they took the money, saying, "Oh no." Anyway. <laughs> well, I can yeah. confirm that is definitely not the case with the money because Stanley okay. was continually effed over by marvel in all iterations um, no well it's just consistent with uh with cla- legacy creators from <laughs> from all generations yeah so yeah. it definitely wasn't the money is all i'm saying and then uh, oh if i were to recast venom oh my gosh now you gotta make me dig into the aughts for like who would be the imposing presence in the aughts i gotta come back to you on that one I okay yeah because do about, that because I, I missed one uh do you think mm-hmm. stanley would have been happy with this movie I I think he would have, yeah. Only in the sense that we haven't really talked about the action scenes as much as it's weird watching the you know Green Goblin and you know Peter Parker on the scooter stuff. There's a lot in here, and and the the Sandman fight on the bus that remind. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was reading John Romita Senior and John Romita Junior comic panels. Forget about the rubbery body 2007 CGI, which still, still looks pretty good on Blu-ray. But I, I felt like they had really gotten that panel action, the kinetic, you know, flow of everything down Absolutely. pretty good. So I, I don't know what Stanley thought about this movie, but I think it was in the spirit of the comics that he was, you know, wanting to create for people. What um, about, how about a twist on what Don was saying, or about a casting? What if it was Thomas Aiden Church that was Eddie Brock? He's kind of built like a shit house. Yeah, yeah shit it house could work. One. He looked so good as Sandman, though, but it would work. Well, yeah, he's... Yeah, He's really good. I mean, I, um, I love the character because not only is it kind of like a a little bit of in terms of where Peter Parker's head is at, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, doesn't he doesn't he pretty much immediately everyone in the movie immediately writes him off because he's a thug, right? Because he was in prison. Yeah. So I think even Spider-Man does that. But yeah. also, I like the fact that there is a physical like this is not something that Peter Parker or Spider-Man can easily feet it's like and yet he does quite quite a very no he doesn't defeat Sand- sandman oh sandman no that's true yeah, sandman. yeah, yeah. Sandman, but he growls like, like a bad mummy villain from the aunts as well so like even some of that characterization is a little cheesy too Love no no effects. sure but i'm just saying like but when we're like, when we're cinder block monster I'm like oh come yeah, on you can't but i'm saying he can't away. he can't punch his way out of that problem true well, and, yeah. but let's talk about sandman um i i know we already have but yeah, you, I need your guys' help to f- figure something okay. out. So he gets out of prison. He escapes in the movie, and at the beginning of the movie, he ends up on the run from the cops, getting into a giant like molecular blender. That's you know, it, <laughs> he's essentially Brundleflyed, except it's you know Brundle sanded. Turns into this creature, and I guess he's stealing money to pay for his daughter's illness treatments or whatever. 
Is that, am I right so far? Yes, you are. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. End of the movie, uh, I think uh, Spider-Man and he have an understanding about, like, Peter understands where he's coming from. Mm -hmm. And then Sandman is like, I'm sorry, I killed your uncle. It was an accident. Again, I think it's contrived and everything, but Mm -hmm. I like the way that it was executed because instead of just the whole idea of, yeah, here's the real guy who killed your uncle, it was here's the real guy that killed your uncle, but you know, there were special circumstances. Like he had the gun on him, Ben was talking yeah. him down, and then his the other guy that Peter thought had murdered him shocked him. He like ran up, he's like, We gotta go. And he's like, Well, shit. And he, you know, the gun went off. I think it I think it works. I think Absolutely. if you take if you take two or three other storylines out of this movie, yeah, and you weave that more in there, because it speaks to like in this movie, you also get Peter having to deal with the fact that he at least he thought killed an innocent man because when he threw that guy uh, out the window in Spider-Man 1 mm-hmm. he felt you know vindicated but then when he went to go tell his you know Aunt May she was like what the hell do you mean am I glad he's dead you know your uncle wouldn't have been on board with that so Peter's carrying that around but with the Sandman I'll get to my point at the end of the movie when they kind of come to their understanding and Peter sort of lets Sandman go not that he could have stopped him Mm-hmm. Sam like just flies off into the city. Is he still going to be going out and stealing shit to pay for his daughter's treatments? Because we never really get an answer of how that resolved. I would assume so. And that's another yeah. problem with Spider-Man 4 not happening is mm-hmm. loose, ends, loose ends that yeah. will never he, be tied up. Because if he lingers and hides from the authorities for a while and you bring him back for Sinister Six, like it very plausible because unlike most movie villains in comics, they're not one and done kill offs. So like, that's kind of nice that he's still around for a change. You know? <laughs> and, and because he's still alive, we do get a great, uh, well, I don't know if he's alive. I don't know how he got into no way home. Cause then they say they came in at the moment of their death by Spider-Man, but <laughs> never mind. But, yeah. but it, it does have one of the best lines, which kind of summarizes how goofy the Raimi movies are, even though I love them. They're goofy is fine is when he's talking to electro and Electro's like, yeah, I fell into a, a thing of uh, electric eels. And mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, I fell into a particle collider. You got to watch where you're stepping. You know, like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> why a particle collider is uh, in the middle of New York City anyway? Who knows? Yeah. But, but you know, no it's just security. No, uh, no security whatsoever. It's just, I thought, you know, it's, it's yeah. kind of fun. I mean, that's why I don't take these too seriously, these movies. No, it's true. They, they're they're incredibly silly from the outset. I mean, that's what you're going to mm-hmm. get with comics and Raimi to begin with. Yeah. And, and I am, um, yeah. but for Flint Sorry, Marco, you, I, I think you overcomplicate an already rock solid thing that where you don't like now because I mean, one of our complaints with Spider Man movies is the same complaints with Batman movies. We we always have to kill Ben Parker, so now we've been killing him three movies in a row. So, um, like you you had it, you it was solidified. It was comic accurate you did everything you needed to do and got peter where you needed to go you didn't need to overcomplicate it just to yeah on a, on a villain who has enough of that backstory well, that you can play with that doesn't need to help and, and i'm going to yeah. get general here to support me what me and don talked about recently on our cinephile history fit about the gray man and what ian's talking about you know by watching it and being like wow i was waiting for this to suck it's it's the, the unfortunate thing is stuff gets into the consciousness Mm. and it's only gotten worse over time. Me and Don talk about this all the time. It's like either something is the worst thing in the world or the best thing in the world. I think we've forgotten that 
it's okay for a movie to be flawed and still be entertaining and okay. Like I love this movie, sure. just but I can still sit here and acknowledge too many villains, bad script mm-hmm. writing, you know, uh, contrivances. But like I think we're like the the cultural consciousness on this one has made it to the point where Ian's going to pop it in and go, holy crap, there's actually good things about this. I mean, you know, you watch the movie and some of the Raimi touches in this are gorgeous, especially in the first half hour. You know, like I said, there's moments where you're waiting, you're waiting for it to suck. I remember when I showed it to my daughter, I was like, well, no one likes this one. I like it, but it's probably a mess. I'm crazy. And she's watching, she's into it. Like, you know, and yeah, there's definitely problems, but I, I don't think it's like the worst film ever made or the worst. No, no, no problem. But, but people will label it that. You yeah. Know? So I, you know me, I'm not going to go that far either. But I admit on Letterboxd, and we'll, we'll love this. I took this movie and I dropped it from three to two. It slipped for me. Wow, this was, this was bad. This didn't. This oh, you had it at three. I okay. did. Where like I had a, I mean, because I was there in 06, fanboying it up. I had a good time. Like, all right, hey, like, so there's uh, for me as the comic book fan. I've seen that said this in the show. All of this is dream fulfillment, even when they're bad. Like, I'm just happy they they made it and they existed, and someone well, took a swing to make this comic come to life. But, but by the time you, I don't know do the fine line accounting i'm i'm i was out yeah well that's where history that's where history hurts this film too is because when the mcu has a bad film or a film that doesn't quite work out the way it's they want it to there's usually been enough of a universe built up and enough faith in the characters that you'll still go to see the next installment i have no doubt in my mind that if there was a spider-man 4 directed by sam raimi it would be just as successful if not more, I agree. Three, two and one, because yeah, the 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 foundation was built. Agreed. For it to succeed, even with a speed bump, just like the mm-hmm. MCU can survive a Thor: The Dark World, or in my opinion, right. the worst MCU film, Age of Ultron, it can survive those because the foundation is in place. I and agree. I think Raimi put enough of a foundation that if there was a Spider-Man four, I guarantee not only would Spider-Man three be looked on perhaps less negatively, but it would be uh, just like they did in No Way Home. They would take the moments out of it that, um, you know, uh, are good and, and expand on those and try to forget the crap that, you know, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Though I do have a, I do have a question. Ian, you can help me with okay. this because you watched okay. it recently. Yeah. In No Way Home, Tobey Maguire says his best friend died in his arms trying to kill him. But isn't in this movie, doesn't he save him? Oh, yeah. boy. I don't remember him trying to kill Peter Parker. I remember him fighting the Sandman and yeah. doing that. Like, so uh, I yeah. never quite understood well, that plot. Now, now here's, a, here's a possibility, though. Okay. I know this is going to get, like, really Swiss cheesy, but <laughs> it, was Can't wait. To- it was the Tobey Maguire... From the Toby, the, from the Sam Raimi universe, mm-hmm. but was it the Toby Maguire from the same reality in which Harry teamed up with him to fight Sandman? Could it have been the Toby Maguire from an alternate timeline within the Sam Raimi verse where oh Harry did die trying to attack Peter Parker like they never made up? Okay, well, I mean, oh boy, the 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 no, breaking no point would have that. to the breaking point would have to be somewhere within three because they do kind of clarify that one and two did happen for sure because both of those villains show up after their deaths because the script even though it ignores it in the case of sandman and a couple others 
says that the villains only show up at the moment of their death from right, Spider-Man. But, but what mm-hmm. I'm getting at is yeah. imagine a reality, and this is what the multiverse is all about, like mm-hmm. alternate realities and possibilities. Imagine the beginning of Spider-Man 3, Peter Parker is on his scooter driving you know, through the city, or he decides to take the subway so he's not out in public, and Harry's just like mm-hmm. gliding around looking for him, he never finds him. So they have a confrontation later where Spider-Man's in the full spider costume fighting Harry on the glider. They get into it and Harry dies in Spider-Man's arms. So I it's see. the same it's the same Raimi reality but it's a mm. different it's right, right, right. reality within that context. I got I, you. I, know no, I just, totally it could, have just, it could have just been someone not paying attention at the script level of No Way Home um or having said I'm not going back to watch Spider-Man 3. You can't pay yeah. me to do that and they're like fuck it he died when he in his arms. Uh, yeah. But I'm saying it's a possibility. Okay. I, I will never be able to watch that movie the same again. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Because that's all I'm going to be thinking about is going to be like, Good. okay, so when in the timeline did it branch? And when did, like, I'm going to be thinking about that forever. So thank yep. you for that. Yeah. I thank you for it too, because it will ruin good shows in the future for Cinephile History. Can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait. I'm here to please, gang. That's right. Um, all right. So Petty also writes, let's be honest, it's a good movie designed to entertain and not to educate the audience like the latest superhero movies today. Hmm. That's why it's still remembered, which I doubt about the new movies. Um, I mean, this movie is kind of pillarless in terms of, you know, the social justice underlying things that the MCU likes to try to do lately of like, hey, we're like, look at all of Phase 4. Talk about grief. Look at all of um the reluctant hero arcs and things like that this movie is a little messageless tone policing ish it's out i also don't agree with the the new movies won't be remembered because not only are they an institution now after 15 years but well yeah yeah i mean people still talk about the original iron man and you know, yeah. the first well, Avengers I, and stuff like that. So I don't know. There, well, there's, and that's a whole other show because, you Oof, know, I think yeah. within Marvel, you can break it down like phases one and two are drastically different from like phases three and four. Totally. It, totally. Because we're also talking about different social eras in which they took place. Agreed. Um, you know, you could not get away with half the stuff with uh, Tony Stark did in Iron Man one mm-hmm. <laughs> today. Yeah. Um, but, and this yeah, is I, and this for its time too. This is a post 9-11 New York your re, uh, which, rejuvenation, that, which is a yeah, beautiful thing for the city. Yeah. Which, which is true. Weeks. However, I and I that was in the back of my mind, and I was kind of surprised when that whole crane thing happened. I'm like, because there is mm-hmm. there's straight up imagery of like people sliding out of office buildings, mm-hmm. you know, where the front has been taken off. I'm like, holy shit, I can't well, believe we, this guy. I'm sure you guys all remember the first teaser trailer for the first Spider-Man yep. was before 9-11, and he's webbed up a helicopter in between yeah. the World Trade Center, and then mm-hmm. they had to take all that stuff out. And Yeah, great trailer, because um, it's one of those scenes yeah. that's like not in the movie, but it was there to sell it. It was perfect. Yeah, yeah and then it, cool. it was, uh, and then of course they had the, you know, don't mess with us New York moment in oh. the first one where they're throwing like cans of eggs or something at the... Yeah. Is there a can of eggs? I don't even know what that means. Right. Um, whatever. This They're throwing eggs now. and or it. cans and or cans yeah. at Green Goblin go, stay out of my city, you know? Yeah. So there you go. Um, all right. Let's <clears throat> kind of wind down here, but we yeah. haven't really talked about what we sort of touched on it with the whole died in his arms thing. But yeah, yeah Harry Osborne comes back and it had been a meme 
for this series and for this movie in particular, the butler who knew everything, oh, uh, God. who kind of steps in to say, "Thank you for bringing oh, Harry, this up. Harry, I was there the night your yeah. father died." Oh, the warble, the age, it's awful. I know it's Bill Paxton's dad, but come was on, it? Oh, he, it he, I didn't Paxton's realize. Oh, wow. Yeah. If you watch the gag reel on the DVD, he cool. is like seventy percent of the gag reel because he could not get his lines out. Like he was. Gee, I like, wonder why. I was Higher your self. father's butler. Like he's Higher questioning his own lines. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, that could have been anybody, any other capable actor. It would have been. It's also over convenience number three hundred seventy four in this movie as well. However, Terrible. I. But here's the thing. I didn't have as big a problem with it this time on this rewatch because I've watched the whole trilogy recently. Mm-hmm. If you, that guy is like the Kaiser Soze of the Raimi trilogy. <laughs> yeah, he's in there. Yeah. He's always in the background during yeah. the key scenes. So when he pops out, people are like, oh, he's, you know, Basil Exposition over here. That's because he didn't just come out of nowhere. I would have he was cast there Michael the York. entire time. And you can, well, that, that would have been awesome. But you, you can see, that see how he was like, yeah keeping these secrets and everything and you could understand why and that was the exact moment where he's like look your friends are in danger yes mm-hmm. they're still your friends your dad was a fucking lunatic get your act together and go save people yeah right. you know it would have been great if he actually yeah. used those words in a pg-13 and, movie but and, and same and same thing with everyone everything else if that was baked in over a little more time a not rush like every other thing that gets us to that climax, it might hit a little harder. And then, yes, actor delivery is a large portion of that for me. Where, like, he's again, props to Bill Paxton's dad, but he's awful. Well, and there's no, there's no real like payoff with it either. Like, I don't know. Have no, you ever guys, have you guys ever seen the, um, uh, for, for performance wise, I mean, have you guys ever seen The Cooler with Alec Baldwin? Yeah. And William H. Long time ago. Yeah. Good movie. There's, there's a scene in that movie where, uh, there was an extra that has a line. It's probably just a friend of the director or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's in the background, like gambling or something. Mm-hmm. And he's supposed to say something to Alec Baldwin. And it's on the gag reel. Like he messes up this line 50 times. And like <laughs> everyone's getting mad except the director because he's probably a friend of the director. Yeah. And it ends up, the, the thing that ends up being in the movie is Alec Baldwin getting so mad at this guy. The guy finally gets the line right. And his line is just supposed to be like, hey, shut the fuck up. He is so angry. He's just like, would you shut the fuck up? And then he walks, he walks up. It's like, that's like a nice, happy accident from like a terrible mm-hmm. performance. But this guy just delivers it and then he's gone. And it's like, like oh, it we didn't even get a be... cool, like, we didn't get yeah. a cool, like, improv moment of, yeah. like, James Franco, if he was like, what the fuck? What the hell yeah. are you talking? Like, <laughs> but it, that would have been awesome because it would have been like, what? Like, <laughs> it didn't know? have to be Michael Caine. It didn't have to be, oh, a, you know, some grand actor in there. But just we're having so, a Wayne's World two yeah. moment here, guys. Remember but also, when, uh, also the, the guy but, at the gas station who turned into Charlton Heston. Yeah. <laughs> but we're also copying Batman tropes here too by throwing in a trusty butler that knows all the secrets. We're like, oh boy, now we're just piling more dumb st- cliches on. So. I think it would have been awesome if that guy had turned out to be like the Green Goblin's Alfred, like like building his bomb. Yeah, well, I, that would that would maybe have a little more, again, <laughs> involvement. Um, well, okay. Um, Butler aside, he's the Butler way aside. that we get to Harry Osborn turning into Han Solo and coming in to oh help rescue his yeah. friends. I, yeah, yeah, it's. My Han Solo I love the how it should have ended YouTube take of this movie, where at, 
all of their suggestions are pitch perfect. I love that show. Well, give us the give us the, the your favorite highlight. I gotta go by and watch that now. It's the some of this is the like the but like the butler the reaction that Will's talking about. Like, why didn't you tell me earlier? You knew this the whole time. Like the reaction to the butler is probably my favorite part of the how it should have ended one. If not the hey buddy old pal, convenience of Franco. All all of it. They're so good. They nailed it in that one. But well. So, but we get to the yeah. the kind of the rescue, and Harry comes in with his pumpkin bombs and his glider, and he's really helpful. And uh, Peter's on the the brink of death, and then Harry gets uh, he get did he get I this only a week and a half ago, but I've already forgotten. Didn't he get stabbed through with the the dual spikes on his glider or something like that? I I, I think so. I I, I may have I vaguely remember it having some seconds. kind of like symmetry with his dad's death, but yeah, I, think I think the so. symmetry was there, which again. <laughs> Oh, how lazy and over convenient is that? So, yeah, it's poetry. It rhymes. Oh, but, God, I know. Yeah. But no, the after Sandman blows away, there's that really, mm-hmm. I think, a really nice scene over the it city is. as the sun's yeah. coming up of, you know, Peter and Mary Jane and their dead friend. Like, it's almost like for those of you who are big Dawson's Creeks fans, as I was, mm. it was like Joey Dawson and Pacey sharing a nice moment together. Oh, um, yeah, bizarre love triangle indeed. But I, I just thought it was that, and then leading into the kind of like the flash forward of yeah, the melancholy you talked about. Yeah, right of that that ending. It's like, yeah, these people are really changed by this, and it reminded me sort of like Spider Man No Way Home. Mm-hmm. How instead of this big thrilling heroic theatrical ending, it's like, well, yeah, no one remembers it no one knows who spider-man or peter parker was and his friends are off having these lives that he sacrificed his own you know kind of identity to to save it's kind of it's kind of sweet and admittedly it has become repetitive it was nice but it also in hindsight has become repetitive because like both garfield movies end in a bit of sorrow notes too so um yeah so i mean it were it is a nicely done scene and even though I think Tobey Maguire has one of the worst cry faces in all of Hollywood, it's is genuine emotion and fine attempts from two actors trying their You're best. You're not supposed to look good when you cry. It's no, but he, but I he's mean, extra bad. It's trust me, I cry, rough. dude. I cry every night before I go to sleep. I, I, I I'm look not far terrible. Right. I know. I I know, but oh. every yeah. night before. But no, like bed, I think. I, but I meant. But I mentioned this earlier where I don't know what it is about, about about Toby, but like I noticed it in this movie, in this viewing, where every time there's an action scene, they go to like a Toby close up. He has the most goofiest, like bad Star Wars pistol shooting face for like the moments that he's been throwing around or doing whatever. It's like, oh, it's just it's Ernest goes to camp bad of just how can you contort Toby's face and then catch it on camera and edit it into a not, really cool not, action scene. Do not drag do not smirch oh. Ernest goes to camp. Okay, the movie sorry. that gave us eggs erroneous. Thanks, um, yellow modeling clay. That's the secret ingredient. Yeah. Um, but no, it's um, it's it, it's a, it's it's good work from Toby after a long rough movie. Yeah, I, the the only thing is like he does have that kind of blank stare. You get a little bit of it in the French restaurant where uh, I almost said Gwen, but Mary Jane <laughs> is like giving him the business. He's like. What? It reminded yeah. me of when he was on Saturday Night Live and they were doing the Jeopardy thing where he was playing Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, to be, oh my God, that to be honest, in real life at that point, he was probably having two things happen at once. He probably lost about $500,000 at the poker table the yeah. night before that scene uh, yeah. with uh, Molly, in Molly's game. And he was probably on so many 
painkiller drugs because I think yeah. at that point he had really hurt his back yeah. or something like yeah. that. So <laughs> I think he was just completely like depressed. And he's Thirty-seven and years old, playing nineteen. I know. <laughs> I think he was just stoned. At <laughs> yeah, that's true. So yeah. I think he was stoned and broke and was just like, oh, uh, what? It was literally yeah. Spider-Man No Way Home, like shit. Where's the bus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, real quick, is this the best? So I, have, cool. I have a feeling you're wrapping up. Is this the best Bruce Campbell cameo of the three movies? Absolutely. I think so. I know it's an overlong yes. joke, but it's good. It's a close sec. I, I think it's tied with the cameo in the first one, just oh, because it's you know it's hyped up Bruce Campbell and like when he says. Uh, you know, I'm the human spider. He's like, God, that sucks. And it's like, it's the amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. 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 But I did love him in this where he's like snapping and, you know, doing the whole like, I, I actually, I told my wife, I'm like, there should be a TV show where Bruce Campbell just plays a French waiter, like a, in a rest, New York restaurant. Yeah. yeah it's great. Um, but yeah, I, anything else to say b- about Spider-Man three. No, I have a, I have a cultural artifact from that era. If you would like to oh, see. Oh dear, it. your socks you used to have. It's Kirsten Dunst moments in from 06? No. Okay. <laughs> Save you it mean, for Chicago, Will. You mean yeah. uh, you mean last week? Uh, oh, no. Wow. When I rewatched when I rewatched Power of the Dog for the fourth time. Oh, no. Um, no. Um, this, it is funny because it does involve a date, but. For whatever reason, like I, I have a I have a bathroom with two uh, like two cabinet medicine chests, right? And I don't use one of them, but I had to go into it for some reason <laughs> this this morning. And I found, I don't know why this was in here. I'm gonna try to show it on the camera. This is a Spider-Man 3 hacky sack, um, hacky sack that I, I won in a uh, it says double trouble on there. Whatever the hell that means. Uh, you won it in a poker game with Toby. I know it. No, yeah. <laughs> no but it, it's. Uh, I, I was on a date and I won it in a machine or something at an arcade, and uh, the date went about as well as the critical reviews for this film. That was my I next question. This. Yeah. So okay. I have this Spider-Man three ball to, and it's mostly blue to always remember those <laughs> those adventures. Back in 2007. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you got to clean out the old is, web shooter sometime. Yeah. I hope that woman's watching web right block, now. Going, I mean, two years later, my daughter was born, so something happened. But, you know. Um, two years. No, um, <laughs> no for, for, some, for a creature like me, it's the ingestion yeah. state is like is like 24 months. So don't worry about it. I got you. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, my question is, was this, <laughs> did you win this ball on this date? Like around the time of Spider-Man three, or were you just like, it's some no, arcade, like a decade later, they saw this Spider-Man three. No, they were trying to get here. I would have, this was the height of that. Spider-Man three mania. Uh, so I got it. Hey, and man, I was like, I'm going to keep this. I'm yeah, going to keep this. The hype this. was real, man. I no, it was pretty. The, the hype was. I watched that trailer so many times, man. Like, wow, you watched man. a trailer back then. Back then, I was all in, man. I was all You've in. Become, <laughs> you became I've what done, you hate. Yeah, I became <laughs> what I hate. Correct. Yeah. I don't want to bury the lead here. Well, we have to figure yeah. out. I know you said you don't know how it got in there, but seriously, how did that get into your medicine cabinet? I do, I, I opened it today and I went, huh. That looks like Spider-Man. I looked at it. I'm like, that looks like McGuire Spider-Man. And then on the back is this Spider-Man 3. There's the black suit. And I was just like, huh, I'm talking about Spider-Man 3 tonight. That's pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, I got that on a date. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm a huge failure when it comes to women. <laughs> Anyways. This is this is proof that we're living in a simulation, guys, because what are the odds that yep. you would find that artifact? No, wow. it, it was it was, I think, the point of finding it 
was if there truly is a God, and I'm I'm on the fence about it, but if there is, it was just to remind me of my of my foibles and to be like, hey, I want you to go on a live stream, an international live stream, and talk about the one the one prize you got <laughs> on a terrible date. So they okay. Go. Stanley would have called that a no prize, which I think yeah. is, uh, is you know, a it great kind of is because I obviously haven't touched it in however many years. And, well, we know uh, what you're doing well, when the cameras stop rolling tonight, going out in the lawn and hacking. Go for mm. it. Well, oh, oh, so just don't don't do that on the lawn. What are you doing? Anyway, um, this Steve has been the Spider-Man awesome. Three retrospective. Everybody, <laughs> bring your kids. Yeah. Um, no, but guys, thank you very much. I know we went a little bit over long. Uh, yeah, there was awesome. not much to discuss uh, about Spider-Man 3, but I think we, I, I don't think we changed any minds. In fact, I feel sorry for Spider-Man 3 because it got downgraded on uh, Don's uh, letterbox. Jeez. Yeah. But, um, but I, I'm glad that we were able to talk about it honestly yeah. without like slinging any dirt and really i think yeah. i feel like i got some some cool perspectives out of this so yeah if, thank you guys if, if we can plug um in the lead up to no way home cinephile hissy fit did do a complete deep dive of every universe we did a, sure a ramey verse episode we did a uh garfield we did venom we did all those so um Holland, yeah. you know you can you can hear me defend spider-man 3 more and then you can hear don like it a little bit more than today uh you know back then so mm -hmm. uh, so if you want to check out our archives for that i will um, i will leave a link to that down below um thank you and well i'll probably just since you did a whole bunch of them, i'll just i'll leave i'll leave a link to the rainy verse one and then folks while you're there check out the other universes Deal. um but uh yeah so anyway you guys thanks again we've got don shanahan We've got Will Johnson, both of the Cinephile History Fit podcast, Don of 25 Years Later, and Every Movie Has a Lesson. Links to all you guys' stuff and the rest of Earth's Mightiest Critics who were unable to join us for various reasons tonight. Uh, we all, I love having the yeah. whole gang together, but it was also nice just, oh, and your little blue ball there. My blue um, ball. My blue ball. Yikes. Uh, I, but it was nice having just this kind of intimate uh, dissection of Spider-Man 3, and that is not... Uh, call back to your love life there, Will. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. thanks. If you liked this show, uh, please, you know, like and subscribe and give us a thumbs up and, you know, feel free to comment. I'll check the comments later. If you watch this, and you're like, what the hell are you guys on? Uh, I'll answer that question. So uh, until next time, and I think next time is probably going to be a couple weeks from now when we come back to, or some of us, to talk about DC's League of Super Pets, um, which still, as you recall, does not break my comics moratorium. Or superhero moratorium. I'm excited to see that movie, not just because I'm paying outrageous amounts of money to see it in Adobe Theater. <laughs> 11 a.m., $15. Thank you, AMC. Wow. Times four. Anyway, thanks, guys. Oh, wait, I, anything else but my guests want to say before we go? No. Um, see you I in will, Chicago, Will. Yeah, I'll be in Chicago this weekend. So if anyone wants to uh, hang out with me and my ball, yeah, hit, hit us up in the socials and we'll meet you up. Sunday yeah. the 25th. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, let's, I think let's do I it. think you'd need to leave the ball at home, Will. 25. Oh, it's my it's my comfort thing on the plane. I don't, don't do that on the plane. <laughs> the rub your balls. Yeah, but I, but no, me and Don will actually be getting together. Ian was invited, but he's I think he's way too cool to hang out with us. So uh, no, I'm gonna be hanging out with my son for his birthday. Yeah, oh. family, family, lame, loser. Anyway, uh, I get it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. No, we'll be 
we will be hanging out and doing some live recordings and all kinds of stuff we're going to collaborate with. You'll probably agree and Blonde in Front and mm-hmm. a couple other Chicago-based people. So if you want to hang out with us, let us know. Yes. I, I, I know you guys are still putting that together, but is there a link or anything to that? Or No, I think it's a bunch of recorded content that ends up being banked for oh, okay. stuff later. I don't think there's going to be a, a live show to it. I got I, you. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I actually want to ask you about something like that off the air, but yeah, it's going to be like you—you'll probably agree with Mike Crowley, but maybe we'll release the audio as Cinephile has as well. That way, mm-hmm. we have some cross—you know, whatever yeah, pollination yeah. or whatever. So, all right. Well, if uh, yeah, I mean, if you end up whatever the plan is, yeah. uh, send me links. Even when the shows go up, I'll stick them in this live stream down below, so people watching this in the future and you know experience the magic of will in chicago with his ball anyway thanks everybody good night take care and um excelsior as the man said r.i.p stanley